Tonight's gospel reading comes from Mark 9, 2 through 10. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his garments became glistening, intensely white, as no fuller on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking to Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is well that we are here. Let us make three booths, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were exceedingly afraid. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen, until the Son of Man should have risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. The word of the Lord. I would just like to um, begin by apologizing. Um, I'm not actually going to preach a sermon tonight, um, not an actual sermon. This is, uh, is kind of like, this is the first time we're doing this here, so the kinks aren't quite worked out, and so I just thought a dry run, you know, what might be better in order. We're just getting used to this new pulpit here. Um, I, so, pardon me, yeah, I don't know, like, I don't know where to put this. Right there. All right, okay, I think it's working out. Um, no, I just thought that um, on this occasion, our first Sunday in this new place, I didn't want to just move, act like nothing happened, but now I'm realizing now that I never could have done that because this is a very different place, it feels different. But I thought on this occasion, I would like to talk about the House of Mercy Church instead of preaching a sermon, to talk about, like, where we've come from and what we're always trying to be about. So, um, because like a real sermon comes from wrestling with the biblical texts and getting in there and asking these questions and trying to find the good news in it. And once that good news or a little bit of a hint of the good news is found in the biblical text, then as preachers, we come out here and we proclaim that good news or we hide it in some, like, really obscure rambling, uh, or we speak eloquently about it, depending on who's preaching. (laughs) So um, I feel like I will touch on the biblical text and maybe, like, um, nod to the good news, but I don't want this going down in my official stats as an actual sermon. So this is not an actual sermon, so I would just like, if you could please refrain from gleaning any kind of spiritual meaning um, from this talk here, I would appreciate it. So um, let me recount briefly the history of House of Mercy. Many of you will have heard a lot of this before, but creation myths in religions and origin stories in comic books are very important and important to, uh, to rehearse and remind ourselves of. So a brief history. Once we were slaves in Egypt. 
Okay, no, that's not our story, but it's a good one. And it does sort of inform what we do. As a matter of fact, the people that we come from, that this House of Mercy comes from, we weren't slaves anywhere. We weren't even close to being slaves. We were, okay, once we were overeducated, underemployed, post-college-age children of the middle class. Yes, it's true. Um, many, many, many years ago, I guess we're coming in May, it will be our 16th year, is that possible? Maybe even 17? I don't know. It's a long, long time. You could practically, like, get married and have children and have them grow up and go to high school in that time. Another year, maybe, yeah. So um, this was way, right after college, um, Mark Stenberg, who many of you will remember, one of the founding pastors of the church, and I were both serving as associate pastors at little dying Baptist churches. And um, we met each other at one of these, I don't know if you've ever been an associate pastor at a small dying Baptist church, but, um, and it's like other denominations, you have to go to these meetings that your senior pastors tell you to go to, where you go and meet with other sad ministers. Um, yeah, once a month and, you know, and try to pretend that it's worthwhile what you're doing. Um, so I met Mark there, and we'd had mutual friends, and we got together for coffee, and I remember we were kind of feeling each other out because we, have a lot, we had a lot of mutual friends who grew up together, went to um, an evangelical liberal arts college north of here, um, and uh, they kind of moved on. They were done with church. They'd, they'd been forced to go all their life, and uh, they just didn't want any more, any more to do with it. So Mark, knowing that I knew a lot of these people, and me knowing he knew a lot of these people, we just figured it was like the same thing between us, until we started talking. And we started dropping little hints to each other that we actually kind of still believed. And then finally Mark just leaned over and he said to me, like, you believe in Jesus? And I was like, yeah, do you? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And we talked about how all of our friends that we knew, they'd heard this good news of Jesus Christ as bad news, and for good reason, because that's how it was given to many people. But we somehow heard this good news, and we thought if we could ever get together, we could form a church where maybe we could help people to hear the good news in the way that we hear it, and not as bad news. Uh, a message of God's radical mercy dispensed by Jesus Christ. And so, um, well, we thought also, too, if that didn't work out, at least when we were in a sad little church, we'd be in a sad little church together. Um, so we, he told me that he knew somebody else who maybe felt the same way and might be willing to join in with us. And he introduced me to Debbie Blue. And she um, wisely wanted nothing to do with the church. <laughs> um, but she could not help something about this Jesus story like she couldn't help just loving it. And we all had that in common. So finally, uh, she agreed with us to try and start a church 
House of Mercy. And uh, we kind of got together and we thought, what would, you, we, what would this church look like? And we just kind of, it was really fun at first because we were just in my kitchen trying to like, you know, like making up some something, like starting some new club or something. And we, we put out what we would want our service to look like and how we're going to do it. And uh, we decided, we all made a commitment together that we would do this for two years, no matter what happened. Two years. Even if it was just the three of us there every Sunday, we would come and we'd do it for two years. So we let all our friends know, and uh, we found this place to meet at First Baptist Church in downtown St. Paul, because uh, the minister down there owed my dad, who was a Baptist preacher, a favor. So, um, no, but they were very welcoming and very important in supporting us in the early years of the First Baptist Church. So we got together, and for those first two years, it wasn't just the three of us. There were like five other people. So it was, uh, we, we, so at the end of that first two years, we decided that it would be worthwhile to try and do this for another two years. So we made a commitment for another two years. And people started showing up. A lot of you were there from the beginning. You're some of the original five. I see you out there. Some of the original 10, some of the original 30. Um, and so we made a commitment to do it for another two years. And at the end of that two years, um, we'd forgotten about that whole thing. We'd never, we never even re-upped. We've just continued to do it. Uh, and it has been an amazing thing that has happened. Because when we started the church, um, and when Chris Larson came on as music minister, we really had this, we were, um, well, I would say we were, Countercultural in our thinking, I could say. Um, we were suspicious of institutions, I think I could say. Um, we always wanted to ask questions and do it a different way. Like, we were kind of like immature, basically, I think. Um, but we really wanted to, this gospel that we heard, this radical mercy of God, we felt that this could be a way that we could live in this culture and be critical of it and find a way to, um, I don't know, to always make that circle of mercy bigger, to share this passion of this Jesus story that is more about weakness than it is about building empire. Um, hearing that echo back to me in this place sort of seems a little strange. But juxtapositions are good. We've always liked to live in the tension. Um, so, yeah. So, yes, we're always a little bit anti-institutional. And people, Mark always said that there are a thousand people around Minneapolis and St. Paul that would love to come and be a part of a church like House of Mercy. And so we always felt like there were other people out there who would be interested in wrestling with the text, asking questions we don't know the answer to, trying to figure out what it means to live out mercy and grace and the love of God in the world, um, if they just would hear about us. And people have heard and people have come, and it's just been the most amazing thing that this has lasted this long, because the things that we all do together still continue to just, like, thrill me and make me passionate about this house of mercy. The music 
that we make together, the art that we make together, when we study the Bible together, the things that we find in there, just people being in each other's lives, wanting to love each other and sort of live in a different kind of way, a different way than is just about downloading and, and buying and pretending to power. Not that we don't all spend a little time downloading and buying and pretending to power, but we just feel a little bad about it. Um, so we're so like, we wanted, we always tried to figure out how can we continue to live out this way to be sort of anti-institutional and have a church that continues to go on. Because what we found is when we proclaimed a gospel that was anti-corporate, anti-business, that money was um, something that was complex and very often um, one of our idols, when we proclaimed this week after week, we found that people with money stopped coming. And um, that's not completely true. Um, if you're still here, please continue coming. Um, we got one left. Uh, no, um, really, it was always a struggle. How do we critique some sort of notion of institution and really having to be kind of an institution? We, on our fifth anniversary, we proclaimed that the House of Mercy was closing. And we preached a sermon and we talked about how that the church needed to close down because House of Mercy is not important. It's not important at all. It's what's important is this gospel, this radical mercy that we proclaim. And our expression of it, while it's really valuable um, and increasingly valuable to us, we thought that if House of Mercy didn't exist, that God would still be in Christ reconciling the world to God's self. And we talked about how we build things. When we're building the House of Mercy, we're not building things out of concrete. We're not pouring forms and making this institution. We're playing with blocks when we build the House of Mercy. So we can feel free to just knock it down and rebuild it in a different way and make it look some, like something different. I will say that over the years, it doesn't sound as true to me when I say House of Mercy is not important. And I think I've gotten a little bit okay with that because we have kind of built a little bit of an institution. And I think that we can still remain critical and, hopefully, and critical of ourselves and what we do, hopefully most of all, but it has allowed us to continue to come together as a community and to love each other and to live out the radical mercy that excited us and gave us the passion in, this, in the first place. So we were, at how, we were at First Baptist Church for a long time, 10, 12 years, I think. And that was a great place for us. And the people of First Baptist and the pastors there really kept us going, I mean, supported us because like I say, we weren't very, we were maybe a fledgling institution or we were a very bad institution or we were sort of a bratty institution, actually. Like we didn't want to be one, but it was necessary. Well, after a while, it came to this point where um, it was a beautiful thing. Mark Stenberg left to start a new church and a lot of people, some people went with him. And then uh, our music minister, Chris Larson, went off to teach sculpture. And um, then Debbie went on sabbatical 
and um, things got kind of dark for a while, to be honest with you. Um, it really did. It Maybe it's because we'd just been around for a decade or so. Um, things were changing, and we didn't quite know what else we were going to be. Um, frankly, House of Mercy was really close to just dying then. And uh, we considered what else we might do, because it just didn't seem the way things were going that this community would remain viable at all. We were, went from average attendance well over 200 to under 100 people every week. And so we didn't know, we thought maybe, well, you know, it lasted longer than two years, so maybe that's a good thing. Maybe we should just hang it up. But we still really felt excited about being part of this community, and it seemed like the community still felt passionate about what we were doing. So right at this time when we decided that we were just going to continue to just do what we love to do and what will happen will happen. We'll continue to try and proclaim this radical mercy, this gospel, the way we have it, to continue to make stuff together and just see what happens. What happened was that First Baptist Church, who had supported us for so long, decided that they no longer could. And we thought, well, maybe it is over again. But uh, it just didn't feel like it was. So we reached out to the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, who brought us in, came in as our partner, frankly gave us money, and we found a new place uh, to worship at Emmanuel Lutheran Church. We were there for like two and a half years, I don't know. And that place was much smaller, which would accommodate it then, the congregation under 100 people. And uh, it was much more intimate, and it sort of allowed us to just get our footing again and to get things back in place and rediscover like where we wanted to go. And it kind of gave us a safe, secure place to do that from. And we moved forward and we continued to do some really amazing things and people really, really began to get more involved in just doing the kinds of things that make a community work. And House of Mercy, over that time, we've come to a point now, and especially thanks to uh, Rick, who is our treasurer, who like, we used to just like take all the money we got and then just put it in our pockets, and then when we had bills, we would just take it out and you know, go like that. We were never really sure how much was there. We didn't really do that. That's like figuratively. I, I just want you to know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but Rick put us on a, on a footing that I think actually people began to trust that House of Mercy did have some things in place that you could actually give your money and they would know about it and it would be put to good use and it would be accountable. And thanks to Rick and everybody's um, increased just support of the church, not only in volunteering but in giving, Right now, House of Mercy has never been in a more stable position ever in our 16 or whatever year history. And it got to the point where we had to move from Emmanuel because the classrooms weren't big enough, because more people were coming with um, young children, and we needed more room in the sanctuary. And so we searched for a place, and uh, we found this one. And this, so far, seems like it's working out pretty well. Um, so I am grateful for this journey. I'm grateful that I can still be a part of this and that we can all still try and figure out what it means to gather around this story of radical grace and mercy and to live it out. 
And because I will go to the communion after this, I do need to talk a little bit about the text because um, that's just the rules. So I want to. So I could actually, I mean, take this text from today and make it into a sermon all about the House of Mercy. I could say that, look, this is kind of amazing here. That today we have this text of the Transfiguration, where Jesus takes these disciples and takes them up to this hill. And on that hill, they see Jesus there, and he is transfigured. He becomes dazzling white, and they say with him there, Elijah's, Elijah and Moses. Elijah representing the prophets, Moses representing um, the law, and Jesus representing the Messiah. And Peter says, when he sees this all there in this brand new place that they went to, he says, it is good for us to be here. And I could say that we have come to this new place. We have come to this new place where we will be transfigured. Where the law and the prophets and the mercy of God are all here with us. So let us say, it is good that we are in this place. That we make a new dwelling place for us here. And then um, the clouds, out of the clouds came a voice, the voice of God, as if to confirm this. That house of mercy is in this new place. That is a blessed place. The voice says, this is my son. Listen to him. And it's because I feel like we have to listen to Jesus the Christ that I can't really make that analogy about us coming up to the mountain and this text being all about us. Because it's not at all. This is something beyond us. This is something that God comes and dwells among God's people and is transfigured before the disciples, becoming this radical way of love in the world, this radical way of mercy and forgiveness in the world, and they don't stay on that mountaintop. They come back down that mountaintop, and that radical love and mercy walks among the people and is killed and is resurrected. And then, I love the end of this text here. They say, um, so they kept this matter to themselves. I don't want to compare this to that part either. Do not keep this to yourselves here, okay? Go out and tell many people. They kept it to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead could mean. And we continue to gather and ask this question and try to figure out for us as a community and what an impact it has on us, what this rising from the dead could be. Because this radical story of love and mercy is not about empire, it is about resurrection. And it is the resurrection, the resurrected, the one who has been transfigured, who is coming to us always and transforming us. So I invite you now all to come forward and be transformed.